I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzy. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the part of Andawa and rock and roll. The people's podcast has arrived the remedy for boredom is here. Let's go for a ride. Brand new cowbell action for you. The people that love Talk is Jericho. Thank you so much for being here. Jericho Hollicks, how in the H-E double hockey sticks are you, hey? I'm having a great day. I'm here uh, in a downtown New York City hotel. Ain't nothing like New York City when it comes to the hustle and bustle. Hot time, somewhere in the city. Back of my neck feeling dirty and pretty. Or dirty and gritty. Dirty and pretty. You can be dirty and pretty. Yeah, boy. Uh, here for a press, had a lot of press over the last couple days. Got a big Fozzie show at the Gramercy Theater tonight, which will have already happened by the time you hear this. But we are in the middle of the Lights Go Out tour, and it is rockin'. I'm going to play Lights Go Out for you later on in the show, just for you, for you to listen to. It's been a, a huge hit so far. Just starting to get rolling on Octane and all your local rock radio stations. If you like it, call them up. Tell them we want to hear Fozzie Lights Go Out. Got a lot of big things coming up on uh, May 15th. We are in Arlington Heights at the Home Bar. That's in the Chicago area. On May 16th, we are headed over to Freakster's Roadhouse. Yeah, Freakster. He's a good guy. In Pontiac, Illinois, we're playing that show with uh, Mindset Evolution. On May 15th, we're playing the Arlington Heights show with Heaven's Basement. Pretty good rock and roll band coming out of uh, the UK. May 17th, the illustrious, huge 
Rock on the Range, which we're really excited about. We're doing that with Avenged Sevenfold and Volbeat and Rob Zombie and so many other killer bands. May 20th in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma at the Chameleon Room. May 21st, Little Rock, Arkansas at Juanitas. So if you're in the area, come and rock with Fozzie. It's got a great show. We've been getting great reviews. And haven't the shows have been really hot, too. Just been kind of drenched in the sweaty, wetty when we're done. Uh, over in the UK, heading over there in the second week of June. Of course, June 12th and June 15th. It is London is Jericho, my spoken word uh, Q&A show, which is uh, looking to be a huge hit. I know that we're selling tickets at a huge rate. They're going, uh, they're going fast. Still some left. I think most of the VIPs have been sold out at this point in time, but you can go check that out. Um, they're going to be at Leicester Square, which is cool. It's a cool venue. I'm really excited to uh, be coming down to rock with everybody. I did a couple of these spoken word shows a few years ago in London and in Australia. It's been a while, and I got a whole new show, a whole bunch of, uh, of cool stories to tell. And a lot of it's going to be on you, a little Q&A. I'll do some tap dancing. I'll do some pie plate spinning. Uh, all of that rock and roll, uh, rock and roll stuff that I can do just for you. Uh, if you want information about the shows, go to PSI Events dot eventbrite dot co dot uk that's a whole lot a whole lot of those psi events dot eventbrite dot co dot uk if you're looking for ticket information on london is jericho and i highly suggest that you get your arson gear and come check it out and of course on june 14th download main stage with lincoln park kill switch engaged fallout boy Dying Fetus, one of my favorite rock and roll names ever. All of us gathering, along with Avenged Sevenfold, who are playing on Friday. Aerosmith will be playing on Sunday. It's going to be one of the biggest uh, rock shows of the year anywhere in the world. So if you're going to be at Download, come check out Fozzie. And if you're not going to be there, then go. And I believe also to June 16th, I'm going to be at the uh, Golden Gods Awards in London. The Metal Hammer Golden Gods, which I hosted a couple years ago. This year hosted by my bros in Steel Panther. And I will be there as a presenter. So that's what's going on over the next few months. Also, if you want to check me out uh, on Tweet Secret, which is the, my special VIP Jericoholics uh, extravaganza, uh, every month, every day, I'll be sending you videos filmed by me directly to your phone. And you can see me uh, do a whole bunch, a whole lineage of things, a whole litany of things. And I'm doing that exclusively on Tweet Secret. So go to the your app store and download the Tweet Secret app, and you will find out all the information about how you can become a part of the Jericho VIP extravaganza. Speaking of extravaganzas, we've got the Rock and Roll Regatta right here, the Entertainment Extravaganza. I heard the other day on uh, on XM Radio, "Faster Pussycat, You're So Vain," which is a cover of a Carly Simon song. And it was probably one of the worst songs I've ever heard. Let's let's check out a little clip right now. So you can hear the way that Timey Down sings that. It's like I saw you walking onto a yacht, me 
And meanwhile, Carly Simon's voice is so smooth, and it's such a beautiful song, and such a provocative song. And I just thought that uh, Faster Pussycat just butchered it. We used to call him, uh, what do we call him, Pussy Dumpy Cat. <laughs> we called him in high school, Pussy Dumpy Cat. Never was a fan of Faster Pussycat. Didn't get it, didn't like it. All due respect to those of you who do like Faster Pussycat, or did like Faster Pussycat. But it's not my bag, baby. Never really likes it. So it got me to thinking, let's go through some of the worst cover songs of all times. Uh, and the first one, Olymp Biscuit, they did Faith by George Michael, which worked, but then they did The Who's Behind Blue Eyes. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man behind blue eyes. Never a good idea when you are a new metal rock rap band to try and incorporate the who and i found sometimes limp biscuit at their best were crushing and at their worst were kind of just clueless and i found uh, this to be a perfect example of that of fred durst not really understanding that you should probably not do that uh, mariah carey doing deaf leopards bringing on the heartache Not a fan of that. Uh, not really too sure. I think she probably thought it's a nice ballad, so she could get away with, you know, getting an easy hit. Did not work out. Uh, another one was Pink doing Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Galileo, Galileo. Now, why would you ever want to cover Bohemian Rhapsody? Like, I like Pink. I went to her concert. Had a good time. I thought she rocked. Uh, she had a great stage show. Did all that ribbon hanging stuff. But to try and do Freddie Mercury's tour de force, where there's like 18 tracks of vocals, and I mean, it's such a personal song. It's a song only Freddie Mercury can get away with, as far as all the, the pomp and circumstance goes, and all the ballyhoo that's involved, all the ridiculosity. So I would have to say that not. I'm giving that a big uh, pink Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a Bohemian Raspberry from Jericho, meaning <laughs> Cheryl Crow, sweet child of mine. I mean, she tried. I mean, she, you know, that song does kind of have a vaguely country vibe to it. But once again, not really a song that, that the world is waiting for a cover of. Sweet child of mine. I mean, the world is waiting for a Guns N' Roses, you know, proper reunion. Whether it will ever happen or not, we don't know. We did see um, Duff McKagan playing with Axl Rose over the last couple months uh, doing Guns N' Roses gigs. So maybe that's kind of the, the precursor to, to, you know, Duff played with, with Axl and Guns N' Roses. Now, Duff has played with Slash and Velvet Revolver, so he's the one guy that's, that's been with both camps. So maybe he can smooth things over and, and, and try and get a little... Uh, a little action going on there. Time to make some donuts, Duff. You have your, your mission. Choose you, you said you choose to uh, accept it. Avril Lavigne doing John Lennon's Imagine. Once again, such a total personal song from John. Sorry, babe. No interest in hearing it and no reason that you should have done it. You should have went and done 
you know, whatever gets you through the night or something like that. Mind games, instant karma, give peace a chance. Uh, any one of those songs is kind of wide open for interpretation, but imagine definitely a John Lennon personal song and not something I want to hear April Avril Lavigne. Miley Cyrus, Smells Like Teen Spirit from Nirvana. <laughs> Less said about that, the better. I mean, that's right up there with Friday by Rebecca Black, the official theme song for Talk is Jericho on Fridays. Faith Hill covering Janis Joplin's Peace of My Heart. country chick she's got a good country voice but janice's voice sounds like her, you know her heart has been ripped out of her throat in that song like she's just had the worst breakup ever like her best friend you know banged her boyfriend right in front of her and, and, and you know laughed while they did it i mean you can just hear the pain and the emotion in janice's voice Faith Hill's uh, collection. Another horrible one, R.E.M., Toys in the Attic. Talk about two different uh, polar opposites. R.E.M. with their kind of jangly, wangly, jumbly, wumbly, hippy-dippy music. Trying to play one of the best hard rock riffs of all time. You know, I think sometimes bands get a little bit too big for their britches. You know, where R.E.M. is like, you know, we are such a great rock band. We're going to do some Aerosmith now. Meanwhile, that's not what they do. Very ill-advised. Bad mix. It's like chocolate ice cream and vinegar. That's what I'm uh, saying that the R.E.M. Aerosmith cover is like. Chocolate covered in vinegar, eh? Doesn't match. Uh, Fall Out Boy featuring John Mayer. Mayer. Doing beat it. Once again, you try and cover Michael Jackson, not easy. I know I did a cover of Michael Jackson's Dirty Diana. You can hear it uh, online now on the iTunes. There's a Michael Jackson tribute called Thriller, like metal Michael Jackson tribute. I did Dirty Diana. It wasn't bad, but I had to down tune like a mofo. Michael's voice is so high and so powerful. Uh, Fall Out Boy did not do that. And you heard the um, the uh, results there. Ministry doing Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World. Never once did I ever ask for an industrial metal band to do a cover of jazz, one of jazz's great greatest songs and one of jazz's greatest singers. Uh, and also may I add that Pat Patterson 
from the WWE, Vince's right-hand man, the, the true genius and wizard and Jedi, and the guy who taught me more than anything I know about wrestling, sings an amazing cover of What a Wonderful World. He's a great karaoke, uh, karaoke singer, and that's his tour de force. And then the winner of the worst cover of all time, Korn, with a K, doing cameos with a C, uh, word up. Not a good, um, not a good mix. Terrible, terrible, terrible mix. So that is my list of the worst covers of all time. Do you have other covers that you do not like? Hopefully, none of them are Fozzies. If you do have some other bad covers, let us know. Hit us up on the Twitter at Talk Is Jericho and fill us in. We got WWE World Champion Daniel Bryan coming up, but before we get started. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas. See? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words, sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Talk is Jericho. All right, on the line right now, the WWE World Champion. It's been a long time coming, but he did it. Daniel Bryan, congratulations, man. Oh, thank you. How are you, Chris? I'm doing good. I appreciate you coming on the show. I know when you uh, become the world champion that suddenly you're in a completely different world. Everyone wants to talk to you. you got to do all the top hip shows. Everybody wants a piece of you, and I appreciate you coming to do this with me today. Oh, yeah, no problem. It actually, um, people haven't, I haven't actually been that busy because right after... The, or at least people bothering me because right after that, then uh, Bree and I got married and then we went on a honeymoon and we were completely like off grid. So nobody could bother us whatsoever. So that was really nice. <laughs> well, that's one thing I love about, about well, both of you guys, but especially you, is you, you, you've always done things your own way. And as you know, in the wrestling business, sometimes. Uh, you know, it takes a while to establish that when you're doing things your own way, it takes a while for the people to kind of catch up with you. And I mean the office, I mean the powers that be. And you've never really cared about kind of following or fitting into whatever trend that there is in, in, in the wrestling business. You've just done it your own way, and I've always admired that about you. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's strange because, uh, and I I really chalk that up to my lack of ambition. Um, <laughs> you know, the WWE did a uh, they did personality tests like these things for these guys for guys who they considered were successful or who had been um, who had had good runs here in WWE, and they it was like a personality assessment, and you know they. They ask you all these different questions, weird questions. Would you ever want to be a race car driver? And, like, you know, that kind of stuff. But apparently it gives you some sort of idea about somebody's personality. Well, the lady who did the testing, when I went in the next day to see the results, she said I had the lowest ambition score that she had ever seen. <laughs> like, it's on, a, it's on a percentile basis. Like, so it's like you're in the, you know, from zero to 100. And I was in the bottom one percentile of people with ambition. <laughs> She's like, how did you even get to where you are? And I said, I don't know, but it's pretty much just because I love doing this. And, like, it's not like I wasn't doing it for money you know, at first, you know, now right. it's nice that you can make money doing it, you know, obviously, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's really strange. Is, is this, is this, uh, they actually gave you this personality test like recently? Oh yeah. This was literally like maybe <laughs> two months ago, two or three months ago. So, but, that, yeah. We took this. And also another interesting thing is that I, uh, one of the things that they had is like power, you know, your desire for power. Uh-huh. And, uh, mine was in the zero percentile. <laughs> 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 so like, you know, uh, it, she was, she, it was really funny because me and Cesaro were just, you know, comparing and contrasting like our different little things. And because he's from Switzerland, but he has, I, I consider him to be like very German in personality. You uh, know? Yes. And so like, <laughs> his stuff on all that stuff was way higher than mine. <laughs> it's just interesting because we get along so well, you know? That's but, one That's one thing I love about the WWE is that, you know, they're very corporate, obviously. So they come up with these things that you probably take, you know, to IBM or to Apple, like these, like you said, like personality tests and then the request for power. Remember when they had the social media expert come in and talk to us? And I remember at the time I had like a million Twitter followers and this this company had like you know you know 110,000 they're telling me how to do Twitter and I'm like I think I figured out how to do Twitter I think I got it right, <laughs> you know? right. and even if you if you haven't figured out like how to the absolute correct way to do Twitter or the, to maximize them you know your most you know thing yeah it doesn't matter because it's working yes you know? it's like it might not be the textbook way to do anything but like and all that, like, look at Zack Ryder. Like, he didn't right. have anybody telling him what to do, and he was able to create his own hit YouTube show. You know, like, well, and you know, all that stuff is funny. Yeah, he made it. You know, to to the level that he made it, basically on his own. But but you're, I mean, you know, you you're in that category, and to a certain extent, I'm in that category. I mean, there's a lot of us that came through that at first weren't deemed with the magic wand. Like, okay, boom, future champion. And some guys get that. I mean, you look at Batista, Orton, or, or those type of guys. They, you know, the WWE knew when they walked through the door, these guys are going to be, you know, we're going to give them every opportunity to get there. Guys like you or me or Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels or, or Eddie or kind of the smaller guys were never really, you know, given that, uh, given that chance right from the start. And you had to do it on your own. But you did it just by being yourself, like you said, working hard and, and doing it, uh, you know, having a different style from everything else. When were they, when did you finally start noticing a little bit of, of a shift from the, from the WWE, I guess, officials to knowing that they were behind you finally? Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I it wasn't necessarily that I felt a, a sh- it was essentially after the lead to the WrestleMania moment. Mm-hmm. It was essentially 
after punk quit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, it was, it was like, well, we've got John and then we've got, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's more, and it was really, uh, when I first won the world heavyweight championship in 2000, December of 2011, mm-hmm. um, I was the money in the bank. I had the money in the bank and, uh, Mark Henry was champion and, uh, and that sort of thing. And I, I honestly think that the plans were for me to be the first person to lose oh. the money in the bank thing. <laughs> right. And, um, but then Mark got hurt, and he okay. was in a feud with Big Show, and I was kind of, I had been kind of in this position for a while, where it's like I was the middleman for guys for their feuds. Mm-hmm. Like they did a Sincara Sincara feud, where it was like Sincara original Sincara beat me, then fake Sincara beat me, and then like <laughs> I'm just the guy who sets up these guys as far yeah. as that, and I was that in the Big Show Mark Henry feud, mm-hmm. and then when Mark got hurt, it was more of a thing where it's like. Well, <laughs> what are our options here? And then all of a sudden, here I am as the as the, as the world heavyweight champion. And I think and it's those kind of kind of lucky breaks where you get to go in and show what you can do as a performer that really helps turn the tide. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So like uh, you know, it, and a lot of that is just is just circumstance. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, and it's strange because I feel like. A lot of guys, like, I I certainly feel like I'm a very good performer, but I also feel like there have been a lot of very good performers who just haven't caught any breaks, who haven't been in that spot where they were. And the only reason I was really the Money in the Bank champion, I think, is because they didn't want two heels winning it that year. <laughs> <laughs> and Alberto, Alberto was the other one, you know. And so it's like, you know, it's just a little series of things that, um, that, that add up to a whole lot, you know. Sure. So. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I knew too. Like, I, I often say this. I even wrote it in in my new book that's coming out. That the moment that you know you came in through the door in the WWE, and I know, I know you'd been there for for a few times before, and you'd flirted with the company. But when you came in with with NXT when they brought all the guys in, and we'll talk about that in a bit. I knew that you were going to make it the same way I knew that Punk was going to make it, the same way I knew Cesaro was going to make it. Because when you've gotten over. Uh, Anywhere it could be in the you know you know proverbial bingo hall or Ring of Honor or New Japan or wherever it is it doesn't matter what level when you've gotten to the top at any company you kind of have an idea of what you have to do to get over and it might take a little while to figure out in the different companies that you're in but once you get over once most of the time you have an idea and you can do it again and I knew you were going to be able to do that you would just have to figure out how can I do that within this WWE system. Yeah, and, and you, you also, it's a matter of figuring out what the fans want, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what the fans want is constantly evolving. And that and that happens with every company, you know what I mean? Like, right. You can't, like, right now, you can go wrestle in New Japan, like, they wrestled in 1995 in New Japan, just, it, because it just wouldn't work, you know? The, yeah. fan, the fan base is constantly evolving and that sort of thing, and the WWE base is constantly evolving. And I also feel, I also feel bad for somebody like... Um, Gosh, I always forget what his name is in, on NXT, but uh, uh, El Generico. He's uh, Sami Zayn. Oh, Sami Zayn, right? Yeah, and uh, because he he's he's awesome, but it's crazy because now on WWE television you have all these guys doing pretty incredible stuff on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to stand out, like by doing 
good wrestling or, or that sort of thing. Um, when you've got like so many guys right now, like you've got Cesaro, you've got Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, like just the shield in, in general, just the past year has put on so many like awesome matches Mm -hmm. that it's, it's hard for somebody to come in. And even if you lose every match, Oh, oh, well, he still had a good match because there seems to be like great matches every week. So it's, uh, yeah. So, but that was actually one of the things too that helped is that, you know, a guy like Cesaro and and the guys in the shield and stuff like that, like specifically Rollins and Ambrose, where they were able to go out there and do, do like, we've been given time, especially now that raw is three hours, we can go out there and, and, that we get time to actually wrestle now, which is really nice too. So it makes a big difference, yeah, when you don't have to rush and you have uh, you know a little bit of that option. And another thing you mentioned, which which uh, I think is a little bit ironic, is that NXT now it's like if if you are going to make it into the WWE, you got to go through the NXT system, which is cool. But most of the guys that are making it through the NXT system are guys that worked around for a while. You know, you're talking about Ring of Honor or working in Japan or whatever. And you said guys like the Shield and yourself and Cesaro and Sami Zayn and these guys. It, it makes me laugh because I know that like the new verdict is like you cannot make it in the WWE unless you come through NXT. And we're not hiring anybody else from independent companies. But meanwhile, all the guys that are over right now in the WWE and in NXT came from quote unquote independent companies. Yeah, and um, and it's it's just really interesting, you know. I I don't know. <sighs> Wrestling has evolved so much. Like if you just think of like you know, and I w- obviously wasn't around, but you can even watch the footage of like Luthez, mm-hmm. right? You know, like and Luthez, you know, he, like a lot of those guys did well because they were shooters and they were considered legit and all this kind of stuff. But they all had to. Like, I don't know, not all of them, but most of them had to go work around in all these yeah. different places. And um, and now it's so strange that, you, like, if you pluck a football player, and I've, and I've believed this for a long time. So, for example, somebody like Titus O'Neil. I think Titus O'Neil has, like, a lot, a lot of upside. Like, he's very charismatic mm-hmm. as a personality and all that. Uh, but one of the things that's going to be hard for him going forward is that he's only learned one system yeah. and one way to do things. And like where even if you sign somebody to a developmental contract, I think it would uh, behoove everybody to like send them to Europe for six months or send them to Japan mm-hmm. for a couple months, you know, and just like have them go and learn different things. And then they can pick and choose what they want to do, you know. Yeah, I I agree with it because also too another thing I know from from my experiences I'm sure you would agree as well is you you can like you said pick and choose but you take little things from different places like okay I remember this worked in Japan and this worked in Mexico and this worked in ECW or Ring of Honor and it, it creates your style where you know you're you're not a copy of anybody else you're your own guy because you were able to kind of take all these little ingredients and throw them into the blender and shake it up and then suddenly you have you know you have your style. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 exactly. And I just, just think it's hard for a lot of those guys, you know, who who just kind of learn end up learning one thing. You know, I would one of the things that I attribute to my success is that like I've been thrown into a lot of weird situations and stuff mm-hmm. before I got to WWE, so I wasn't really phased by a lot of it. You know, like mm-hmm. okay, like the hardest part is like, wait a second, how do you even do a three minute match? You know, what I, I know. Mean? Like, <laughs> I've never had to do that before. Like, okay, but like I can try different things and like, and then too, like just being on shows 
with like a guy like Yuji Nagata or something like that who knew how to work like he was knew how to wrestle like he was over, you know? Yeah. Um and seeing like the the guys who are big stars and how they how they handled themselves and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I just feel bad for guys who if they've if they've only come in and known one thing because that's gotta make it really hard. Yeah, and also too. Well, first of all, two things that you mentioned. One, I mean, that is that is the art form of all art forms. Having a match in three minutes, and that was something. To this day, I still, I can never walk out of the ring after having a three minute match and go, "Man, that was great!" Like even if it was the great. best three, you know what I mean? Like it's always like feels like such a rush, and like you know, I just always feel like you left something. Uh, it could have been so much better, and but that, that's the hardest thing I think about doing. TV matches is is the short matches. Yeah, and not only that, like you get all work like as you know as guys who enjoy wrestling, right? And I like mm-hmm. to get worked up about wrestling. Like, all right, I'm excited. Most of the time, I'm excited to go out there and wrestle, and uh, it's just like. Oh, it's like a letdown for myself. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you go out there and you're like, yeah. And the, the worst to me is when like uh, a crowd is really good. Yes. And then you're out there for only three minutes and you know like they wanted more and you wanted more. And then like there's only been a couple times I've come back to the curtain hot. And it's never been because somebody messed up or because something wasn't good or, or something like that. It's It's... It's been because, like, one time was different, but most of the time it's been like, oh, my gosh, that could have been so much more. Why yes. Why was this only three minutes? Like, this could have been, like, an awesome experience, and now it was just bleh. Well, you yeah, know? So. yeah, or you just get a take. I did that happen to us. I remember the first match you ever had on NXT was against me, and I was the world yeah. champion at the time. And at first, I remember, like, because this is when they, they made us do NXT, and I was, like, in a bad mood anyways because I was working, like, five days a week or six days a week. And I was like, I don't even want to wrestle tonight. I don't want to do this. And I remember thinking about it, and, like, you know, this is going to be really good. Like, you know, Daniel Daniel Bryan versus Jericho. We've never done this before. And then I was like, what am I complaining about? Like, this is awesome. And then, after all that, I see the script, and I see that we have six minutes. And that made me so mad. I was like, this is the first NXT you guys want to put on a new show. And you got all these great new performers. You got a match that some people will think this is a dream match. You know, two guys, actually both of us saying that we're the best in the world, all this other stuff. And then they gave us six minutes. And I was just so disappointed in that because I knew, you know, we could have gone 60 minutes had they given us the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like... And, and it's funny because, like, I, you know, I I go with things pretty well. I don't mm-hmm. get real upset about a lot of stuff. But, like, uh, it's just frustrating when you see something like that. And, and like, I, I don't know. Like, and that's, I think, but I, I, it's good. It's good that I get upset over that kind yeah. of stuff because that means that I still I still love to wrestle. You know what I mean? And, like, oh, I, you know, I, I, I almost uh, dread the day where I look and I see, like, Four minutes, and I'm like, oh, thank goodness. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. If you ever feel that way, it's time to it's time to go home. Um, right, literally. Yeah. But yeah, but I, I I remember too because in that match, remember you did the suicide dive and you shot yeah. right over me, and we we crashed into the announce table. And it was one of the coolest bumps ever. And I remember because we had, I still to this day, it's one of my biggest. It still pisses me off that I didn't go with it, you know. But because uh, we were in a time constraint, I just threw you back in the ring, and we just kept going. This still bugs me, you know. And like you yeah. said, maybe that's a good thing. But I still like, damn it, I wish we would. I would have just 
recalled the whole thing and just would have said, screw the time, they can edit it if they want to, you know? Yeah, and, and, and that's the, you know, and that's the thing, and that's, um, it's, it's really fun to me to talk to people who love wrestling because yeah. it's because you obsess over those little things, right? right. Like, you know, some people who don't love wrestling and who are, who just do this because, okay, it's a good paycheck or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. or, you know, they don't like, they don't, they don't obsess over the little details and stuff like that. But I feel like a lot of uh, guys like myself and you and that sort of thing, if we didn't obsess over those little details, we wouldn't have gotten to that's where right. We did, you know, like yep. you had, we had to do that to get to that sort of thing. But it's always just fun too, to just talk with people who love wrestling about wrestling. Because, I know, you I know. know. It's, you know it, you know, it, it's always interesting. So you know, it, it's almost like two nerds talking about you know Star Wars or computers. Like or when you comic put comic books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, when you put wrestlers together, chances are within about ten seconds you're going to end up talking about wrestling. That's just the way it yeah, goes. Do you know what's funny? So like wrestling to me has this whole like nerd culture amongst wrestlers, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Where it's like you know, like you can t- guys who are really bit, like. Cesaro, like, you know, he, he still, like, watches all this wrestling, you know what I mean? And uh-huh. I watch a decent amount of wrestling, and he's like, oh, my gosh, did you see this, this Japanese something or another? And, and like, and, it, and I'd be like, yeah. And it's like, if we were two high school kids, you'd be like, man, look at these two <laughs> nerds talking about some sort of Japanese wrestling that they looked up on the internet, right? Yeah. And so, um, but, uh, but, but then it's funny, because I find that about anything that people are passionate about, because, you know, CrossFit is huge now, right? Yeah. Well, if you talk to crossfit people about crossfit they're legit like crossfit nerds and like they have like you know they have these people that like uh seth rollins is what i consider a crossfit nerd like he is like he follows like crossfitters like these big name crossfitters who i've never heard of big name crossfitters what just just machine road uh, 6,000 meters in a certain time. And I'm like, and they watch it. Like, how do you watch somebody on a rowing machine for 30 minutes? Like, it's like watching NASCAR. Like, oh, no, you didn't understand his split time and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, like, you're such a nerd. And then I realized, like, wait a second, I, you know. Yeah, guilty. Do, so. <laughs> I love you said the, the famous CrossFitters. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> 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 ah. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Talk is Jericho. Okay, we're back with Daniel Bryan. So were you obviously a wrestling fan when you were growing up? Yeah, oh yeah, I was a huge wrestling fan. And um, so it's actually interesting. My, um, uh, gosh, my father passed away. I know, sorry, um, sorry, was, man. Um, yeah. yeah, not Monday, but the Monday before. And so I went back to Aberdeen for, uh, for his funeral and all that kind of stuff. But um, his... My uncle, which is, so my dad was one of, of six children. So mm. my uncle, Lucky, who is uh, the closest to my dad in that, he ended up marrying the wife, or sorry, the, um, the mother of my best friend when I was in first grade. Okay. Uh, my best friend when I was in first grade, his name is Warren. Mm-hmm. And Warren introduced me to this guy named Abe Godfrey. 
and Abe Godfrey, <laughs> like it was Abe Godfrey's first day at school, and we all came back to my house, and and Abe was like, okay, I've got something in my in my backpack, but you have to promise not to tell anybody if I show you. And we're like, oh, okay, you know, because we're in first grade and we don't know any better, right? It's like, oh, and he pulls out these wrestling magazines, oh. and we start looking through them. And I don't come from a family of who liked wrestling. Like uh-huh. my dad never watched it, my mom never watched it, nobody ever watched it. And just this kid, Abe Godfrey, pulled out these magazines and I was just instantly hooked. And like <laughs> and just being somebody who is like I've always enjoyed reading and all that kind of stuff and then the pictures and everything. It's just wrestling is just magic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you, especially when you get sucked into it from a young age. So Well and it was different back then too because now, I mean, you can go online and you can read behind the scenes and you can subscribe to uh, the Wrestling Observer, you know, behind the scenes dirt sheet. But back back then you couldn't. Like all you knew is what they would show you on TV and you could read an after magazine, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, but it was all, you know, all made up anyways. So I never knew that wrestling wasn't quote unquote real until I was about nineteen or twenty years old, as stupid as that sounds now, but there was no way to find out. Right, yeah. Oh yeah. And like uh you know, it, it's just you know, it's it's amazing because you just watch it and like there were guys that I thought were not real. Like, okay, and I don't know why he's, why this person sticks out specifically to me, but I remember always watching Dino Bravo and being mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy's not really tough. Like, <laughs> he wouldn't win any real fights. And wow. I don't know, like, <laughs> and I don't know where I got the idea that Dino Bravo was not tough, but the Ultimate Warrior was. Yeah. And, like... You, you know, I, I, I don't know where I, where I got these ideas from, but like, I, for some reason, I thought that what Dino Bravo did was phony. And then what, <laughs> which is weird, right? Was 100% legit. You know, it's, it, I, I would love to be able to go back into my own head and see how I thought about things. But yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I was the same. I remember I used to watch uh, Stampede Wrestling, and the tag team was Bruce Hart and Brian Pillman. And to me, I like I, I thought Brian Pillman is amazing, but this Bruce, Hart's te- Bruce Hart is terrible. And I didn't really know why he was terrible. I just knew he was. And then you look back, and it's because, well, he's terrible, you know? <laughs> but even as a fan, I could figure that out, you know, but not really knowing yeah, yeah. the reasons why. <laughs> so, I mean, so you, you grew up a wrestling fan. You wanted to, so then you decided that you wanted to be a wrestler when you were still living in Aberdeen? Yeah. And so, like, I had kind of decided it was, um, you know, in 1996, uh, is when WCW started bringing in all the cruiserweights and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And actually, 95, I remember 95 that, you know, Eddie and, 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 um, Dean and, and those guys come in. Yeah. But then in, ni- in the 96 is when Ray came in. Mm-hmm. And like, I was really thinking about, oh man, I'd really like to be a, a wrestler in 1995. Keep in mind, I'm 14 years old and so, like, <laughs> at that point. And so I'm like, uh, okay. But then in 96, when Ray came in, and Ray was only 5'3, and like, uh, yeah. uh, like in the Pro Wrestling Illustrated, it said 135 pounds or whatever it was, you know, <laughs> like, you 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 watch them and all these excuses that I had as to why I might not be able to be a pro wrestler they all went out the window you know yeah. and then um, I found out later that year because I was a sophomore uh, that Dean Malenko who was my favorite wrestler Dean mm-hmm. was my favorite my absolute favorite and um, that he had a wrestling school I was like. Because I didn't realize wrestling schools existed. I yeah. didn't know wh- what that was. But I, somehow I found out, and I don't re- even remember how. Oh, I think in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, they, they had a, an advertisement. 
do you want to be a pro wrestler? <laughs> Pay $20 or something like that, and we'll send you a book that tells you how to be a pro wrestler. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and essentially all it did was just like, you have to get gear. Here's places where to get gear. You have to get training. Here's places where you can get training. But like like you said, there wasn't, like the internet wasn't. Right, wasn't you couldn't just so look up and find it. Time. So like that's what you had to do to find out. And so, um, and I saw in there that there was the Malenko School of Wrestling, and I thought, oh my gosh, that's the holy grail of like <laughs> the, the biggest find, you know, it, yeah. you know, the, for a kid that's 15 years old. And so I was 15, I was like working at McDonald's, and I sent my $500 deposit to, uh, I forget uh, what the lady's name was, but just to reserve <laughs> my spot, because here I was thinking that there would be this several year long wait to get into the Malenko School of Wrestling. So I needed to reserve my spot now. <laughs> right. And, um, of course, my senior year of high school, which was 1999, I, uh, I, three months before I was graduating, um, oh, Phyllis Lee was her name. Phyllis oh. Lee gave, 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 us, gave me a call and said, oh, I'm sorry, the Malenko School of Wrestling is closing. Oh. Like, you know, and I was like, Oh, like, what am I going to do? Because I haven't applied for any colleges. I haven't done anything like that. You know, like, yeah. uh, what am I going to do with my life? And, uh, you know, and then, of course, I was working, like, I worked a bunch of minimum wage jobs, right? So $500 is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then, um, I don't know if it was my friend Evan or who who told me, but that Shawn Michaels was opening up a school. And it was... Uh, it was substantially more expensive, <laughs> and uh, but um, but then I ended up going to Sean's, and so that yeah that ended all up working out for the best, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, it's something similar happened to me when I first uh, applied to go to the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp and Stampede Wrestling, and then when I, I did get to go. But six months before I went to camp, Stampede Wrestling closed, and it was the same feeling, like ah. Oh, so close, man. What do I do? But you just have right. to, you know, I mean, and, and that's the thing about, about Dean Malenko, man. I mean, he was so fluid of a wrestler. And people forget if you've never seen Dean or if you just know him now as kind of the uh, behind the scenes producer. I mean, that guy was as smooth as silk in the ring. And I think he's pretty underrated when you look at the history of great performers because not a lot of people will say, that, oh, yeah, Dean Malenko is one of the best. But I think he still to this day is one of the best. Well, and, and to me, as far, I mean, there's different. Uh, you know, when when I look at wrestling, I feel like I'm like I'm a wrestling student still mm -hmm. to this day. What works and what doesn't work, and all that kind of stuff. As far as his technique goes, I don't think that there's any anybody better at yeah. mat wrestling than than Dean. Like he was just he was so good at all of that, and not only that, so creative with everything that, that yes. he did and and all that kind of stuff. And it was funny because just it, it was. Probably 2011 or something like that. I I had asked Dean to show me this one thing that I've seen him do, and he still did it. I don't remember, I don't know how old Dean is right now. I think he's, he's fifty or he's fifty. Or he's fifty. There. I think he's fifty four. Yeah, and and he did it so quick and so much better <laughs> than me. And I tried to do it like five or six times, and then eventually just gave up out of embarrassment more than anything else. Like, yeah. uh, and it was, it was just like. But you know he trained with uh with with Carl Gotch and like uh, his brother. Mm -hmm. Did you ever wrestle his brother? Did you ever or I, meet I, his brother? No, I, well, yeah, Joe? we did a couple angles with him in WCW, but he had retired by that point. But I watched. I mean, obviously, classic Malenko brothers versus British Bulldogs from all Japan. I mean, there's some yeah. tremendous matches with the two of them. 
Yeah, and like so, like I, I would always seek out like the you know obscure kind of matches, and now nothing's obscure because yeah. you have YouTube, you know, and so like guys can, but like uh, Joe wrestling again in uh, Masafuchi, and they were doing like all this crazy mat wrestling that you you'd never seen in the United yeah. States. And like, and then Dean did all that stuff, but then just did it way more fluid and then mixed it with the, with these fast paced matches where those matches, I don't think would have ever gotten over in the United States at the time. You know what I mean? They were just kind of too slow, but Dean incorporated all that stuff into like a fast paced style. And it was just, yeah, he was just incredible. Well, and, and that's the thing, like you just mentioned, you try and do some of the stuff that they make it look so easy. And then, you know, I would try it. It would just look awful. And there was some of those guys, I'm sure, you know, uh, Johnny Saint from from England, yeah. that guy, probably the most obscure name that's ever been mentioned on Talk is Jericho, but it's this English guy called Johnny Saint, and he does stuff that I've never seen anybody else do, and it's so fluid and cool looking, but if you try it, it looks just terrible. It looks like it looks like yeah. a joke, you know. Oh, oh yeah, and there was a big there was a big movement in independent wrestling several years ago as far as the European style. Mm-hmm. So I got first introduced to European wrestling by. Uh, by Regal in right. um, in 2000 when I went when I went and trained with with him and um, so he was telling me but it was just literally like he would kind of show me stuff but there was no way to get access to that yeah. right well then again you know through YouTube and through DVD trainers and whatever it is you know like all of a sudden that stuff kind of became readily available and a lot of independent wrestlers are huge wrestling nerds right so mm-hmm. they're you know ordering all this stuff and watching it and you have no idea how many t- how many terrible johnny saint <laughs> i have seen throughout my career it's like you know uh like there was a, a certain logic to their um like wrist lock reversals and all that kind of stuff but yeah. The guys were just trying to do the things, not nearly as smooth and without any of the logic that came with the world of sport. And so, yeah, it looks so uh, bad, right? It's pretty funny. I remember when yeah. the, when the when when Negro Casas is uh, the La Magistral, his he would do like this little roll up pin thing, and it yeah. Be, yeah, in about the mid nineties, late nineties, everyone was trying to do the Magistral and. You know, you can't for whatever reason. That's that's Negro Costas' thing, and there'd be like you said, dozens of really bad mahistrals going on in matches everywhere of guys thinking like. <laughs> <laughs> you so, know what's funny is I specifically remember a uh, a very bad Billy Kidman mahistral cradle. Like, <laughs> like I remember watching it because uh, it was still like I had started wrestling at this point, and um, and I had watched it. And I was like, oh my gosh, that might be the worst cradle I've ever seen. <laughs> and it, you know, and I I forgot about it entirely until right now, and I'm gonna have to bring it up to him. <laughs> yeah, it that's right. Because we all thought like, oh wow, we can do this, but it's not the case. Now you were lucky that you got to train with Regal. I mean, I know you had a lot of flirtations with the WWE before you finally came in uh, for NXT, which I believe was in 2010. But you worked, yeah. you were signed by the WWE, and then you got fired. And then you might have come back and you got fired again. And I mean, there's so much history of all the stuff that you've done uh, throughout the years. But I want to focus when you were brought back to the WWE for NXT. Tell us, how did you come back? Because I think 2002 is when you first came and got let go. And then 2010, suddenly you return. What were the circumstances to bring you back again? Well, it's interesting because in 2009, uh, January of 2009, I thought, okay, the injuries were kind of mounting up a little bit. And independent wrestling, although I was getting paid well for an independent wrestler, it it wasn't enough to where it's like, okay, I'm going to be able to save up for any sort of retirement or anything like that. 
And um, and so in 2009, I decided, okay, uh, I I really want to make a run at trying to get into the WWE, just as as, as kind of a thing, like and a last chance to, sort of thing. Yeah, but to do that, I'm going to need to change my style a little bit because what I do here on the independence and in Japan is not going to work there. Mm-hmm. And um, so I moved to Las Vegas and started training at Extreme Couture, uh, kickboxing and um, grappling and stuff, uh, nearly every day that I wasn't wrestling and, um, just to do, just so I would get better at the kicks and all that kind of stuff. Right. And then, um, and so, but around and my contract that year with ring of honor had ended and I want to say May of 2009. And so after that, I was, I was actually, you know, I had talked to Regal, I had talked to, um, Brian Kendrick and Brian was doing a thing where he was um, the Brian Kendrick, and yeah. at the time he was looking for the tag team partner. <laughs> and he had called me and was like, I would love for you to uh, come to this spot. They, you know, Everybody knows that you can wrestle, but they want to see if you can talk, if you can fly yourself out to Oakland, I want to say it was, mm-hmm. um, and we can just do some interview type stuff. Uh, that would be really great. So I flew out there, I did the interview type stuff, and uh, it went really well. And I didn't meet with anybody important. Uh, you know, I talked to Brawler and stuff, you know, but like, <laughs> um, and then met with Johnny Ace a, a little bit. And, uh, and then, but then Brian got let go. And oh. it was literally like, oh, crap. Well, there goes kind of my, my chances, you know. And so, yeah. like, I, you know, I was trying and, and talking to Regal about it and that sort of thing. But at this point, I had pretty much decided at the end of the year, I'm going to go back to Washington and I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start going back to school and I'll wrestle on the weekends because I still get paid well for it, but I have to switch my focus to some sort of career that will sustain me for when I'm done wrestling. Right. And, um, and then literally probably like three weeks after Brian got let go, um, John called me and, uh, and asked me if I wanted a deal. And I said, yeah. And then there were complications because, mm-hmm. uh, because I had like, elevated liver enzymes and like when they go through that medical screening oh, like, yeah. all this stuff and like i had really super high liver enzymes and the guy said well uh are you are you a drinker and i said no i've never drank in my life <laughs> he's like do you use steroids nope never done steroids in my life and they said well typically with elevated liver enzymes what with as high as yours are the uh the main reasons are uh alcohol abuse steroid abuse or cancer can you Oof. imagine telling that to somebody on the phone? And like, here I am thinking Dude. I have cancer, and like, <laughs> and like they did all these tests, and I didn't have cancer, and I don't think they ever figured out why my liver enzymes were so high, and that my liver enzymes are still high to this day. But the the three major things that they needed to check about, <laughs> I, I cleared that, and so. Uh, well, let, let me you know, let me just let me just interject quickly. Let me tell you something, just so you know, because the same thing happened to me where I had elevated testosterone. Okay, it was like uh-huh. at a. 10 to 1 or something instead of a 4 to 1. And they said, okay, are you on steroids? No. Uh, whatever. Are you on this? Are you on that? No, 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 no. And then the guy goes, he, and this is the same thing. He goes, well, if you're not on steroids, then you probably have a tumor, which is why your uh, levels are higher. And the same thing. I'm like, what? Who says that to anybody on the phone? I was so mad at him. And then I had to go to an endocrinologist and find out that I just had a naturally elevated level of testosterone. But it seems like a little theme here. These guys are just throwing out the cancer word like nothing. So anyways, you're not, you're not alone, man. 
<laughs> yeah, and you know it's funny. I mean, it's not funny because, uh, but Nigel McGuinness got signed at the same time. Yeah, and you know when they're going through the thing, no, oh, have you ever had any shoulder problems or anything like that? You know, any surgeries or this or that? And um, I just, I'm not. I wasn't exactly honest. You know, right, right. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to get through this thing. Well, Nigel is honest to a fault. And says, like, oh, yeah, I tore my bicep, like, last year. And then they said, well, did you get it surgically repaired? No, I let it heal naturally. And But, you know, my my doctor says that it's 100% repaired and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. And, um, but then they sent him to a couple different doctors and all that kind of stuff. And he ended up not passing the physical. And it's like, here's a guy who had probably more upside than I had as far as like what WWE wants, as far as what they're looking for. And he didn't even get the opportunity because wow. of, uh, to, to me, and, and like, that's when I say things like, when I say things like it, you, it means you need a lot of luck to kind yes. of get to where, to where like Nigel just didn't get that luck. Right. Yeah. Because he was, he's an awesome speaker. He's an awesome wrestler. He was all the, like, he had a great look. He's over six feet tall. Like he's, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he just didn't even get the opportunity, yeah, just, you know? Um, but then, yeah, then, uh, then I sat at home for like four months and not knowing what to do with myself while I waited to, <laughs> to see if they were going to do anything with me. And then, uh, and then they told me that, um, we were going to start doing this NXT thing. So now, now you were Brian Danielson, which is your name. And then you came in NXT as Daniel Bryan. Did they, why did they make, why did they want you to change your name? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's pretty much, I think, just so that they can own the rights to it is, sure. is my is, is 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 what I think. But they asked me for like a list of ten names, right? Uh, Regal is actually the one who came up with Daniel Bryan, uh-huh. and um, uh, but like I had some pretty outlandish names because really I just wanted to be Brian Danielson. Yeah, and I remember having a conversation with you actually sometime around the time I came in, and you know, it like because you know my hardcore fans who had been following me. For years, and I mean, they're not that many. You know what I mean? There's like five thousand, well, maybe. In the, yeah, but in the on, world on, world, on, on, on an independent basis, uh, you had a big name, though. Yeah, yeah, but they were very upset by this by this whole <laughs> change. But like, the, it's a lot better than the, some of the names I suggested. One of the ones I really liked was Buddy Peacock, because <laughs> um, like I just imagine people like it's just a funny name, and people can either chant Buddy or they can chant Peacock, and I, <laughs> just you know, it was well, probably a pretty bad suggestion had they actually gone with. I it. actually, I Regal told me that story, and I mentioned my book earlier, and I talk about NXT, and actually one of the chapter titles is Buddy Peacock. Oh, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> So you could have been Buddy Peacock, but you went with Daniel Bryan, which is better. Yeah, the the other the other one I suggested was Lloyd Bonier, and Bonier is spelled B O N with a tilde over the N E R. That's so awesome, man! I love it. Uh, we're gonna have to stop here today, though, and pick up again on Friday with WWE World Champion Daniel Bryan. So much more to talk about, but right now we are going to play. The song that's sweeping the nation, the platter that matters, the hit that will make you shine forever. We're going to do Lights Go Out right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. Crank it up, baby!
Thanks for checking out Talk is Jericho today. Thanks to Daniel Bryan. Thanks to Rich Ward for writing that amazing song, Lights Go Out by Fozzie. If you like it, go check it out on iTunes. And you can actually go to Amazon and buy it. And if you do so, use my Amazon link. Not only when you buy Lights Go Out, but every time you do your online shopping. It's really easy to find. Just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcasts Free banner at the top of the page, and then click on Talk is Jericho, and you'll see all three of my Amazon links in the UK, in Canada, and in the US of A. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show, so we can keep doing this for you for free twice a week. There's no hidden extra fees, no hidden charges. You're just getting your shopping done and helping me out in the process. Once again, on Friday, part two of my amazing conversation with WWE World Champion Daniel Bryan. We're going to get into his first go-around at the WWE, how he got fired by Vince McMahon and then ultimately brought back. Plus, we'll talk WrestleMania 28 and 30 and the origin of the Yes Chant. So much more great stuff coming up on Friday with DB, the world champion of the WWE. So we'll see you then. Stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big gay boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.